We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. That was an incredible catch last night in what was the most entertaining game of the series. Chaz McCormick, a Philadelphia native and a guy that grew up a Phillies fan, uh, makes the big catch in the bottom of the ninth, securing a 3-2 Philadelphia Game 5 win. Series goes back to Houston tomorrow night for Game 6 and potentially uh, a Game 7 on Sunday night. It's unfortunate that it's over in Philadelphia because the atmosphere the last three nights in Philadelphia for those three games was spectacular. Uh, Tomorrow night, uh, Game 6, and then if there is a seventh and deciding game, it'll be Sunday night. I had John Oran from Sports Business Journal on the radio show, asked him about uh, Tommy and I talked about it on the podcast, and he just said, you don't even need to ask me. Tennessee, Kansas City, the Sunday night football game, would dominate a Game 7 of the World Series in terms of television ratings. That really is, I mean, for some people of a certain age, they don't even get it uh, because baseball used to be so, so on par uh, with football, especially if you're talking about a World Series Game 7. And to think that a regular season NFL game would dominate it on television. Uh, We've been there for a while, though. Uh, We are used to it. But I've enjoyed the World Series. Last night was a thrilling game. Didn't end until after midnight. Uh, But another excellent game from Bryce Harper, who was one for two with two walks. And he got hit by a pitch in the bottom of the night. They were really pitching around him. He was on first base when the game ended last night. Uh, three to two. I did watch some of the football last night as well. Uh, the Eagles get to eight and O. Oh. I have to say the most impressive thing about last night's game is it's the first time I've watched Houston this year and Washington plays them in a few weeks. Damian Pierce, the rookie running back for the Texans who played at Florida and was a fourth round pick is incredible. I mean, he was so good last night and has been all year long 139 yards last night on 27 carries he was running people over 
Uh, what an impressive rookie running back Pierce is in Houston. I mean, Kenneth Walker, obviously, in Seattle. Brees Hall before he got injured. Um, Tyler Algier in Atlanta. Uh, there have been some good ones, but Damian Pierce is really something else. What a great player. I'll tell you, Philadelphia wasn't overwhelmingly impressive. They won the game 29-17 to get to, to get to 8-0. They had issues protecting Hurts last night. He was under siege all night long. I actually think his some of his throws were some of the best throws I've ever seen him make with pressure in his face, people bearing down. He got sacked four times in the game. That's Hurts. Uh, but, man, they've got some weapons in Goddard, Brown, uh, my guy, Devontae Smith. I needed him to have a bigger night for my fantasy uh, league. He had just two catches for 22 yards. But Philadelphia undefeated 8-0, and they now await the Commanders a week from Monday night. That's their next game. Washington, of course, has Minnesota on Sunday. Um, All right, on the show today, Clinton Portis will join us. We'll talk ball with Clinton Portis. Uh, Then Phil Mackey, who uh, does a great YouTube podcast uh, called Purple Daily, covering the Vikings. Phil's been on the show before. He will join us to talk about the Vikings. Uh, And then I'll have the smell test later on in the show as well. Uh, I want to start with how Washington wins on Sunday and give you a final score prediction. So I really think, as I've said all week long, this is a very winnable game for Washington. But, you know, I've kind of felt that way about their games, even some of their games with Carson Wentz for a while now. I mean, I I think it really started for me in week three against the Eagles. Now, the reason I I was confident that it it could be a game is Philadelphia had had the Monday night game short week, and I just thought it set up well for Washington coming off a loss against Detroit. They they played better on defense against Philly. Um, They played better uh, uh, against Dallas on defense, a little bit better on offense, but it didn't look good, and then obviously they had a chance to beat Tennessee, and now they've won three in a row, and we've all talked about the competition and how close they were to losing all three of those games. I mean, the winning streak started with a muffed punt for all intents and purposes in Chicago. They got another gift on a muffed punt against the Packers, and they were down two scores with, you know, 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter against a third-string quarterback from a few weeks ago, Sam Ehlinger. Now they get an opponent that is legitimately good at 6-1, and one, but Minnesota isn't Buffalo. They're not Kansas City. I personally don't think they're Philadelphia or Dallas, and maybe not even San Francisco in the NFC, because I love the 49ers completely healthy. The Vikings are 6-1. and one. They have had every single win, with the exception of their opener against Green Bay, be an eight-point or less win. They've had multiple fourth-quarter game-winning drives, led by my guy, Kirk Cousins. Uh, But the truth is, this hasn't been a great year for Kirk. He hasn't been bad, um, but he was so good last year and the year before, and the team around him just wasn't good enough. The defense wasn't good enough. The O-line wasn't very good. They lost games because of the kicker last year. The kicker isn't very good this year either. I think, you know, he's been good. He just hasn't been as good, and I think part of it has been – 
you know, the adaptation to a new offense. But we'll ask Phil uh, Phil Mackey about that a little bit later on. But I think Washington's defense, as I've said, is playing at a level that against a team like Minnesota um, that is good, uh, but um, – you know, other than Justin Jefferson at this point, it's and Dalvin Cook, I'd throw Cook into that equation. It's not like they're super explosive. And I think defensively there's a chance they can play well. And I don't think Minnesota outside of Zadarius Smith is that good on defense. So I think it's a winnable game. How do they win it? A couple of ways. Uh, number one, Washington wins on Sunday over the Vikings if – They stop the run. They have to stop Dalvin Cook and, by the way, Alexander Madison. Uh, The Vikings, with those two guys, average 4.7 yards per carry. Washington's been excellent over the last six weeks, allowing less than four yards per carry. It's like 3.72 yards per carry right now. Uh, Jonathan Taylor elevated that a little bit uh, last week. Very important to stop the run because, as all of us know, Uh, from Kirk's days here, and for those of us that have followed his career in Minnesota. If you can make Kirk and that team one-dimensional as a pure drop-back passing team, they can do it, okay? He is capable of doing it, but man, is he tough when you've got a balanced attack and they can go play action and bootleg off of a running game with Dalvin Cook. Stop the run. Washington's been good at it. I expect them to be able to pull it off on Sunday. Third down offense is crucial Sunday. They were 2-for-12 last week. They've got to be in that 7-for-15, 6-for-13, maybe not 50% or better. That would be great. But they've got to be in that forty, you know, that 45% range. They've got to convert on third down, stay on the field with the formula that I think they think works, and I would agree with them with what they have right now, and that is – Down in distance, favorable. Uh, Third downs that are makeable. Don't get into a drop-back game. I understand what they did in the final two minutes uh, or the final ten minutes when they went pure drop-back because they were down two scores, and it looked good. Okay, Taylor did incredibly well. You cannot make a living, and you can't win more games than less, in my opinion, if that's what you decide you want to do. Uh, I think the run extension throws, I think the design check down throws, I think some of the slants, I think some of the bubbles um, are great. And then you can take your shots on early downs after you've established the fact that you are multifaceted on the day. Uh, Don't think that you can still, I know, again, he's been impressive at times, but for the formula for them last year during that four-game winning streak and three games so far this year is staying ahead of the chains primarily. They've got to do that by staying on the field on third down. They're not going to stay on the field on third down unless they've got third and fives or shorter. Number three, Washington beats Minnesota if they don't let Justin Jefferson go nuts. You know, one of the things that Justin Jefferson does is he's not always the X receiver. He's not always on the outside. He lines up in the slot a hell of a lot. They line him up in the backfield, which for all intents and purposes is a way to design the matchup they want. You can't have Wild Goose covering Jefferson uh, without help. I think you got to give help to anybody 
that's covering Jefferson. You've got to make everybody else beat you and not let Jefferson beat you. He is elite. He's elite in creating separation in man coverage. He is elite with the ball in his hands. And the truth is, Adam Thielen, as their number two, he's not the the number two he used to be. You know, he's going to catch some tightly contested throws. He's a tough guy, but he's not getting the separation that he used to get. They've got a, a pretty decent third receiver in K.J. Osborne. In many ways, I think he's a better threat than Thielen. They added T.J. Hawkinson via trade this week because they lost Irv Smith, although I think, you know, Irv Smith was not a, a dynamic tight end, hasn't been. Uh, I don't know how much Hawkinson will know and how much he'll be available for them uh, when he was just traded a few days ago. Uh, but if he develops into a really good uh, tight end um, as a pass-catching tight end, look out because Kirk loves to have a big-time tight tight end, and they don't have one. Take Jefferson as much as you can out of it. Don't let him end up with you know, 11 targets and nine catches for 195 yards. That won't make for a positive day. Lastly, red zone. Washington's been outstanding with their red zone defense this year. Top 10 in the league. In some categories, they're much higher in certain metrics in red zone defense. Minnesota offensively, very good with their red zone offense. They've been very creative in the red zone with their offense. This is a big area of the game Sunday, as is flipping it around, where Washington hasn't been that great as a red zone offense, but Minnesota hasn't been very good as a red zone defense. But I think, you know, Minnesota will be in the red zone in this game. And you've got to make them pay by getting stops, maybe some fourth down stops, but certainly holding them to field goals. And look out for Kevin O'Connell's creativity in the red zone. Washington has faced limited teams here in the red zone the last three weeks. That's not Minnesota. If they can continue, though, with outstanding red zone defense, I think they've got a chance to win the game. Stop the run. Make them one-dimensional. Third down offense is crucial this week. Don't let Justin Jefferson go wild, especially when they match him up in the slot, uh, because look out, Wild Goose. He is uh, he is moved around a ton. And then I think red zone defense in particular against a very good red zone offensive team will be key on Sunday. I don't know. Call it a hunch. I think it's a back-and-forth game that comes down to the final possession. I've got Washington winning 23-20. to I'll tell you why more than anything else. Minnesota's kind of due to not win one of these close games. They've won all of these close games. Six, five of the six have been really tight games, and they've come through and they've gotten every break in all of them. I think they're a good team. I actually think they will be a better team at the end of the year than they are now if they stay healthy. But I think Washington's still catching them as they're still trying to figure it out offensively with Kevin O'Connell, still trying to figure it out defensively with Ed Donatel, who was a Vic Fangio disciple. They can be had here. Uh, Other teams have had a chance in recent weeks against the Vikings. I mean, the Lions had a very good chance against them. The Saints had a good chance against them. The Bears had a fourth-quarter lead. The Dolphins were in it with, like, backup quarterbacks. Um, Yeah, I think 
Sunday's a really, really close game that could go either way. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it should be a good one. Black uniforms, not into that. <laughs> I'm not into, you know, any of this other stuff going on. And clearly the story of the week has been the ownership change. And that's how I'm going to end this first segment. I put together a list of the 10 things that I want in a new owner. Top 10 list of what I want in a new owner. And the news, by the way, there's been, you know, pieces of news since Wednesday and yesterday. Um, Number one, all of the big names, Bezos, Jay-Z, you know, you've got some of the names that Tommy and I mentioned yesterday. There was a story in Pro Football Talk, uh, not Pro Football Talk, there was a story, Sports Business Journal from Ben Fisher that said part of the, um, what got Snyder to move was owners going to Snyder saying it's time. Uh, there will likely be more news today and more news from over the weekend. I am still at 90% on him selling the team. And, uh, and I think that, you know, this will be fast tracked in terms of a new owner. So here is my top 10 list of what I'm looking for and what I hope for in a new owner. And I understand that some of this will seem perhaps old man, get off my lawn. Number one. I want an owner whose number one goal is to win the Super Bowl. And whatever number two is, you got to count, as Coach Thompson used to say, five spaces before you get to it. I don't want an owner or anybody in the organization to say what Chief Marketing Officer Will Misselbrook recently said when talking about the team's brand and the name in particular. He said, quote, it's more than just a football team. If your team name is an animal, you're kind of restricted. The name Commanders allowed us to go into a much bigger space, media, food, fashion, pop culture, and music, closed quote. No, I want the brand of the organization first and foremost to be winning Super Bowls. Number two, I want an owner who is intelligent, yes, but also smart. They're not one and the same. Dan Snyder is innately intelligent, but he's done a lot of dumb things. Number three, I want an owner who treats customers like their customers. This organization's arrogance in the way it treated its fans, its season ticket holders, its partners, including media partners, its corporate sponsors, they, even in the face of all of the losing and bad behavior and embarrassing behavior, they tried to act like you were lucky to do business with them. That kind of culture does not breed good results. I want an owner who treats customers like their customers. Number four, I want an owner that hires a lead football person, also known to many football fans as a general manager. I want my owner to let that person hire all of the other football people, including the head coach. Number five, I want an owner who gives the football people total autonomy on football things and isn't meddlesome. Number six, I want an owner who can communicate, negotiate, and get a deal done for a new stadium at the RFK site in D.C. Number seven, I want an owner that considers a complete do-over on the name and brand. I don't think, as I talked about yesterday, that there's much value in the commanders in the sale of this team. It's been around for nine months now, ten months now. 
Uh, you're not acquiring an established brand. You can do it over again. I think it should be done over again. My preference, Washington as the central focus of the brand, and they call it the Washington football team or the Washington FC or FC Washington, and all of us refer to them by their nickname, the Skins. Number eight, I want an owner that doesn't want to be the face of the franchise. I know that Dan wasn't that over the last 10 years, understood. He was a total public recluse, but not the first 10 years where he wanted to be a star and more importantly, wanted to hang out with stars. I want an owner that doesn't care if he or she is that noticeable. Now, I will give consideration to if the owner is a famous person, Jay-Z as an example, and there's a football benefit to the owner being visible, well then let's, you know, leverage that if that's the case. If it's not somebody like that, I don't want that person to be very visible. Number nine, I don't want an owner to be on the sidelines during the games. Not that Dan ever was. I just don't want the next owner to be hanging out on the sidelines during the games. And then number 10. I want an owner that when he or she steps to the podium to accept the Lombardi trophy from Roger Goodell or whomever the commissioner is, I want it to be the first time that we've seen that person or heard from that person since like a sit-down interview at training camp. That's my top 10 list of what I want in an owner. By the way, somebody just texted me something before we get to Clinton Portis. Dave Butts passed away. I'm just seeing this right now. Dave Butts, uh, the commanders tweeted out, we're heartbroken over the loss of Washington legend Dave Butts, a two-time Super Bowl champion and a member of our Ring of Fame and 90 Greatest list, sending our deepest condolences to Dave's family and friends. Dave Butts, uh, at 72 years old, it would appear, he has passed away. Wow. Uh, Too young, first of all, and a legend. A legend during the glory years. What a run-stuffing defensive tackle Dave Butts was. You know, Dave Butts started his career in St. Louis as a St. Louis Cardinal, and George Allen brought him from St. Louis to Washington. Uh, He was one of the best inside defensive tackles, defensive linemen in the game during that stretch. Uh, I don't have his all-pro and Pro Bowl information up in front of me, but I know he was selected to Pro Bowls and certainly at least one or two all-pro seasons in the 82 to 84 range, 1982 to 1984 range. He also was always available. Uh, Wow. Uh, Quite uh, the surprise and quite the career. Um, Really, really loved Dave Butts. He was a gentle giant, you know, in that, you know, description of a big man who carved ducks. You know, that was a hobby of his, carving ducks out of wood. Uh, He was an artist. Um, He was so soft-spoken. But when he spoke, he was intelligent. Uh, He was a favorite among the team. I I know he was one of Joe T's favorites. Uh, I think Theismann and Butts had a a very close relationship. Sad. Dave Butts. 
uh, passed away. More on butts next week, obviously with Tommy on Tuesday. Up next, Clinton Portis will be my guest. We will talk football with Portis College, Washington, and the NFL. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's bring Clinton Portis on to the podcast, uh, and we're going to talk ball and only ball. Um, and, you know, because you've always been one of the people uh, in terms of former players that uh, loves college football as much as I do, let's start there. Tennessee or Georgia tomorrow? I like Tennessee. You know, Georgia, um, offensively, I don't think they can score at the pace Tennessee can. And Tennessee has shown you – They'll go deep, and they're accurate. Uh, Hooker has been accurate. Uh, they're explosive. Their receiver is, is doing crazy numbers. Wyatt, yeah. Uh, I like Tennessee. Hyatt. Yeah, I, I like Tennessee. Um, you think Hendon Hooker is a, a good NFL prospect? Well, he can throw the deep ball. You know, normally that's what you're looking for. You have so many of these quarterbacks that just throw underneath uh, and don't make plays downfield. And uh, I think when you look for – uh, what the prototype is in the NFL when you look at a Patrick Mahomes, a guy with a strong arm, uh, a Kyler Murray, guys that get the ball downfield, they tend to be hot. So if Hooker continues to be accurate and playing the way that he's playing, he's at Tennessee. Like, look what he did for this program. The same thing happened with, uh, with your quarterback at Cincinnati, Joe Burrow. The same thing happened with Burrow. You know, his, his early years, it was a struggle. You didn't know if he could play. All of a sudden, he'd go from Ohio State to LSU, and it's like, oh, this is a new guy. So the same thing should happen for Hooker. I think he's deserved it. I think he's played his way into the conversation, and I think he can do it on the next level. Hooker, for those of you that don't know, was at Virginia Tech uh, before transferring to Tennessee. The one thing about this game tomorrow, I actually like Georgia. Um Tennessee's played all of these games this year, these big games at home. You know, going back to the Florida game, the the Bama game, the Kentucky game. Um, they're on the road, uh, you know, in Athens, and Georgia just seems to have stepped up when they've when they've needed to. I mean, I, the Oregon games, you know, week one, you can throw that out, but they destroyed Auburn. Not that Auburn's very good. They destroyed Florida last week. Not that Florida's very good. Um, I think we'll find out a lot about you know. Both teams, Tennessee's first legit road, you know, test and, and Georgia's first real test 
overall. I mean, it's a wild SEC season so far. What about Bama, LSU, and Death Valley tomorrow night? Who do you like there? I like LSU. Bama not doing it for me. You know, I think it, they're missing a lot of explosive pieces. You normally see Bama when they're dominant with wide receivers putting up crazy stats. The running backs uh, normally have crazy stats. Now it's just kind of on Bryce Young to come out and do what he does, and then they depend on the defense. Uh, but I don't think I don't think they have that explosiveness that they've had over the years. So uh, for some reason, LSU, uh, although they could have you know, packed it up early in the season. It's like, okay, we're getting rid of Brian Kelly and the, the rumors, and all of a sudden these guys have started playing for him. They're buying into uh, what he's selling. So uh, LSU in Death Valley, I think that's going to be a good game. Yeah, I do too. Uh, Brian Kelly's the best coach they've had in a while. I mean, they were complaining early, but this team is like for the first LSU team in years that looks like they're put together, they're well-coached, and Jaden Daniels all of a sudden is playing – pretty high-level football. I'm with you. I think they have a chance to win tomorrow night. I think LSU's got a chance to run the table, and and that would put them in the SEC title game against either Tennessee or Georgia, uh, which would be uh, interesting. Who else in college football do you like a lot? Like, who do you see as a legitimate national championship contender? I'm assuming you like the Buckeyes. You know it. I was just about to say, Marvin Harrison Jr. is doing crazy numbers. Like, uh, I think that connection alone is, is is probably the only connection better than Hooker and Wyatt. You know, uh, when when you look at uh, Stroud and uh, Harrison Jr., that connection is, is probably the best connection in college football. You know, uh, and, and then you have Hooker and Wyatt connection as well. But those guys are on the same page, and uh, Ohio State just seems to continue to churn out receivers, to continue to churn out players and find a way, you know. Uh, I, I think they have an easier path, so once they get to that point in the season, they're healthier, you know. Uh, those guys should be a lot healthier. They're not hit by the injury bug. Uh, they have a, a slew of running backs. They have a slew of receivers, and you're protecting your quarterback. So I think the Buckeyes would be, be one of those teams. What do you think of Clemson? Like, uh, to me, they don't pass the eye test because of the quarterback uh, in particular, but I, I don't see it with them. Do you? You know, you want to not see it with them, but that quarterback is actually playing better than he's played uh, his entire career. I think you you got to give credit to Dabble. You expected them in losing your, your D coordinator out to Oklahoma, so you, you knew it was going to be a struggle early on, but all of a sudden it's like they've gotten it together down in uh, in Clemson and they're playing. So I think when you look at the quarterback, the running back, uh, he's, he's shifting. He's playing uh, lights out. He just give them a chance, you know, in that environment, that home field, uh, playing down in Death Valley, that environment gives them a chance. So I, I think they actually beat Notre Dame, who had a tough start to the season, and, and they've kind of riding the ship, but going into Clemson for them, I think is going to be a tough ask. I don't know if I've asked you this before. Do you know Loxley at all? Yeah, I know Loxley. Loxley recruited me in high school. That's crazy. Oh, he did? So when he was at, yeah, Mar- he was at, when he was at Maryland. Maryland. Yeah, yeah, when he was at Maryland working yeah, for Ralph Regan. Correct. It was before Ralph Regan. It was... Uh, it was Vander Linden. Got, yeah, yeah, Vander Linden was the... Uh, was a coach. So Loxley recruited me 
uh, coming out of high school. I, I just saw Locks when they played Charlotte. I went out to the game and spoke with him. Uh, so, so when he recruited you, what? First of all, you never gave Maryland any consideration, then, right? What Maryland was my top choice. Miami just jumped Maryland. I, I actually, I thought uh, South was Carolina was your to top Maryland. choice. I thought you told yeah, me. I don't know where they came from. No, I never told. Oh, you okay. That. Maryland was my Maryland was my top choice. I never, I never considered South Carolina. I, ne- uh, I never knew that. Was my top choice. So, yeah. wh- so why Maryland? Because of Locks, he was such a good recruiter. Well, no, my best friend had came the year before, so he was already there. It was kind of like one of those package deals, and just the the excitement of playing with your best friend and having the opportunity, both of us coming out of Florida and coming to right the ship. And you know, uh, I came I came on my official visit to the University of Maryland, and it was like day one. I knew I was a man at Maryland. It, it, it wasn't really a challenge. And then I went down to Miami uh, on my third official visit. And it was just like, this is the fit. This is where I need to be. Um, because you had so many young guys that was hadn't been, been on the scene, but it was like Daryl next, the Santana Moss, the Reggie Wayne, the Dan Morgan. It's like, oh, yeah, we got this dude. He's coming. <laughs> he's coming. You know, and it was just like, you know what? I want to be with this team, so it was over. Who was your Who was your really good friend who played at Maryland? Rod Littles. He played safety. Okay. Um. So you would have been. What was your freshman year at Miami? What would your freshman year at Maryland have been? Ninety nine. So ninety nine. So the national championship year was Ralph Friedgen's first year, two thousand and one, and that's when Maryland football really turned around. I man, Ralph would have loved you in the backfield, and he was, you know, he was one of the real offensive, you know, minds in in college football back then. He had been Bobby Ross's uh, offensive coordinator with the Chargers when they went to the Super Bowl. Um, and he did a great job when he was here. I never knew that. I had no idea that that was true. Yeah, when I came down, you all had Lamont Jordan, uh, right. Big Chris Jenkins. What's crazy is it was the year I think uh, Maryland basketball went to uh, one as well because we went to the Steve Francis game. Steve Francis was still on campus, uh, and we went to that game. So, yeah, that was a, it was a great time. Well, you know what's interesting? I know that you've been to some big Maryland basketball games. You love going out to uh, – you know, you've been to a couple of the, the big games at Xfinity, whether it was some of those Duke games when you were uh, playing at, at – um, when you were playing – uh, and 99 was the Steve Francis year, and they were good. They went to the Sweet 16 that year, but then, you know, two years later, they went to the Final Four. Three years later, they won the national championship. Um, yeah, but but Francis was, I mean, he was, th- those games, do you remember which game you went to? Oh, uh, no, it, was, it, it might have been a Duke game. It was one of the top games. It seems like I always caught. Uh, you know, I always wanted to catch Duke, especially when Steve Blake was there. Uh, Maryland had some good teams, man. You know, they had some exciting uh, basketball teams to come out and watch. What other sport could you would you have played uh, collegiately if you didn't play football? I would have loved to play basketball. Basketball was my first love. I just was one of those dribbling type dudes. You know, those were all in the South. That, that dribbler dude was corny. You needed to be able to shoot. You know, so I wasn't, my handles, my handles weren't, uh, I wasn't the, the go-between, you know, I can dribble the basketball, but I wasn't the go-between your legs behind your back and stop and 
spin on the ground. That wasn't that wasn't my style. I like to spot up and just just launch away. And when it's on, it's on. Yeah. And then I ran track in college as well. Yeah, I knew you ran ran track. You didn't play baseball though. Nah, that was the one thing I couldn't do. All right, let's get to the NFL and let's talk about this team here. Uh, why have they won three games in a row? I think it's Heineke. You know, <laughs> when players when players elevate themselves to protect the guy that they always wanted, you have to take notice to that. Give me, give me an we example. Like, what? Do you, yeah, go ahead. Use. I'm going to use Heineke and Gibson, right? Ever since Gibson, ever since Robinson took over the, the, the starting running back role, you see how Gibson has responded. Yeah, he. I, I love he's him. Play, he's playing at a high level, high right? Level. Yeah. But he can't do that by himself. Somebody else has to say, you know what, man, we really screwed this dude. Like, he's been doing everything this acts. Take the fumbles out of the equation. Yeah. He's been doing everything. So now when Gibson is in the game, you have everyone else up their level of play. It's the same thing with Heineke. Now that Heineke's in the game, everyone is live. Everyone feels like, okay, this ball can come to us. You know, I, I was in I was in Chicago, and that first half was horrible. And then all of a sudden, the second half, he came out and he played much better. And then I was I was there for the Green Bay game, and you just see the response. And prior to Heineke stepping on the field, look at McLaurin's target. Look at how they were getting McLaurin the ball. Now, Heineke is on the field. Who's your superstar again? McLaurin. Look at the catch he had last week in Indy. McLaurin. Wentz wouldn't even have thrown that ball. But when players step up for each other, you got to listen to the players sometimes. It's not always about the coaches. It's not always about the scheme and the voices being heard. The players know who they have a shot to win with. And in this three-game win streak, they've been down, they've come back. They've won games against teams you wouldn't expect the Redskins, I mean the Commanders, to beat the Packers. You were down in Chicago. You were down in Indy. Look how impressive it's been you stuck together as a team. It's like everyone is playing for one another. The thing I always say is, Bring the competition back to football. Now you have competition in the running back room, right? You got competition in the receivers room because before the kid um, Dotson got hurt, he was he was he was coming along. Yeah. Now you got Dotson, you got Samuel, you got Terry, you got Brown, who's who's resurfacing and showing up. You got guys that's competing. You got guys that believe, hey, come to me, I can make a play. So when you put competition back in football, it's not given. Everyone is out here playing for their job. And in playing for their job, they just so happen to go win the last three games. So what do you think the future of Heineke is? Right now, I'm not going to disagree with you. Right now, they're clearly a better team, and people respond to him, and they weren't responding to Wentz. But where do you think this goes? Well, I think I think you should leave Heineke, and I said this last year. I thought when we talked about Heineke, I think you leave Heineke 
at your starting quarterback until someone comes in and remove him. Until someone, you bring in a quarterback that the players react differently to. Now, if some if you go and draft a young guy and this young guy is seeing that he finally get his opportunity and all the players are like playing out of their mind above and beyond for this guy, maybe that's when you change the helm. But until then, Heineke is getting the job done. Heineke is the guy that they're responding to. So leave Heineke alone. Stop. Oh, well, we just brought in this guy, and I'm giving him the keys. All right, let you me. Know, when you brought in Wentz, I don't think you should have just gave Wentz the keys and come out. Okay, and, oh, let me. Well, Wentz is our starting quarterback. Let me ask the question a different way. Would you be at the end of this season looking for another potential starting quarterback, or would you th- do you think now that you may not need to go look for a starting quarterback because Taylor Heineke is the quarterback of your future? Answer that. No, I would. I would definitely look for another quarterback. I would definitely look because this draft is loaded with quarterbacks. Right. So if you could potentially get one. I would get one, but I wouldn't rush him into playing. I would get a quarterback knowing, hey, you know what? I got Heineke. I can live with Heineke. They can learn from Heineke until they're ready to take the leap. It's just like having love behind Aaron Rodgers. You go out and you take love with the idea of, okay, if Aaron Rodgers disappears, if he leaves, if he falls off, if anything, we have a replacement. You haven't heard from love since. Uh, by the way, who, this was three who, years ago. who is your favorite quarterback in the draft, next year's draft? Um, Bryce Young, it's, it's Stroud. Starting be, it's starting to be Hooker. The more I see the accuracy of Hooker downfield passes, I get excited because you could you could you could complete the underneath. Everybody can you know throw this little five and ten yard, but when you throw in the ball accurate downfield, where your players get an opportunity to make a play where the ball is not out of bounds or 10 yards over the receiver head, you're giving your receiver a chance to make a play or get a P.I. in a league that's become so P.I. friendly. If you bump the receiver, it's a P.I. But you're giving your receivers a chance to play. I honestly like Hooker. I like I like the uh, I like Richardson. I think if you put more talent around Richardson, what he has at Florida isn't really, you know, what the other guys have, what the Bryce uh, Young and, and the Stroud have. But I think if you put Richardson at Ohio State, he's the number one player in college football. Yeah, I like Richardson too a lot. All right, back to this team. Um, you didn't mention the defense and how well it's playing. What do you think of, of what they've, you know, how, the, how much they've improved on defense? I, I think they're improving on defense, but you're winning. You're winning on first down, you know. Uh, and when you win on first down, that means your your D line is stopping up the run. You're putting people in second and long, third and long, so everything isn't so easy. And then you're coming up with plays when you need to come up with plays. Moving William Jackson, moving on from William Jackson. That was a huge move. No one is discussing it. No one is talking about it. It wasn't like, oh, look at this move. But that move was outstanding. He didn't fit the locker room for whatever reason. He didn't give you anything. This was your high-priced free agent. Yeah, we've, you're we've losing talked about on it. Your big free, you're losing on your big free agent. Wentz, Jackson, those guys, you're losing every year on your big free agent. You can't lose on those guys. Those are your can't-miss this is who 
we need this is who's going to come in and do it. And we have a track record of losing to our losing on our business. <laughs> yeah, it goes back a long way. Albert, Archuleta, etc. Um, it's never been uh, a, a, a big win, although London was a pretty good uh, snag in free agent. You were a pretty good snag in a trade. By the way, I, I just wanted, because I, I looked this up, because I thought I, you said something about McLaurin and targets, and several people have said that, and I just decided for the first time to look it up because I was curious how much more he's been targeted with Taylor versus uh, what he was with Wentz. The truth is it's not that much different. His his number one target game was the Philadelphia game. He got targeted nine times, caught, caught six balls for 102 yards. In Detroit, he was targeted eight times, had four catches. Last two games with Taylor, targeted eight times in each. Um, but the Chicago game, he was not targeted uh, much at all. Yeah, I mean, that was the last – Sort of, you know, impression that we had. What? Go ahead. Again, you go to is is not target is when you were targeted. Now, if you look at those same games, if you go to the Wentz game in the first half of all of those games, McLaurin might have two two targets. That's fair. And then That's the fair. second half, yep. you come out and you force targets to him. It's about the action throughout the game, getting him the ball. Every quarter, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. Not let me get frustrated. If I haven't touched the ball by halftime, I got two attempts. Don't you think I'm coming out frustrated in the second half? I can't look and say, oh, man, this was a long game. I still got plenty of game left. I haven't touched the ball at halftime. When you see Cooper Cup get 30 targets in a game, you know, and that started with <laughs> well, he hasn't gotten, he hasn't gotten can, 30, you, but he did get like 16 or 17 in one you of those games. I know. Oh, it's, that's it's, a lot of how about, how about one you of those? At, well, Ben used to do it with Antonio Brown. There were, there, I think there was a game where he was targeted 22 times, which is amazing. So look at, look at Justin Jefferson. Look at A.J. Brown. Yeah. Look at Jamar Chase. Like, look at the targets that those guys get right. throughout the game. 19 it's targets no, for Cup against the 49ers earlier this year. 19. So imagine McLaurin getting 19 targets in a game. Imagine McLaurin getting 19 targets in a game. You're telling me you can't game plan to put him in a position to win? 19 targets, you can throw him five option routes. How many who can cover who can cover an option route? Give him McLaurin a two way go or a three way go? Come on, man. You can simplify this. So where's this season going? By the way, I liked what you said about Gibson. I've been saying it all season long. Not that I think Robinson Jr. isn't going to be a good player. He might be, but I think Gibson is really good and deserves the majority, like the significant majority of touches among the backs. Well, I think you can. I think you can game plan Gibson. So I honestly feel like Robinson, as the the one back, is good because Gibson is not a natural running back. He's a natural athlete. So you could game plan him. You could put him in different spots to be successful. Even putting him back on kickoff return. Yeah. That all of that. If he's if this man is used to being all over the field, and you take that away from him. Like, you're taking one of his superpowers. Now that you've given him the opportunity to make plays all over the field, he's responding. So continue to allow him to be the player that he is or the player that you drafted him as instead of trying to change his identity. That's all it was, an identity battle. But I don't think he was – see, this is where I – 
I understand what you're saying, and I agree. He's better in space. He's better, you know, as a receiver. He's better out on the edge. But there were games last year and in his rookie year at 6'2", nearly 230, where he was pretty good between the tackles, too, as the bell cow. You know, you go back to some of those games during that four-game winning streak last year, you know, he was the, he was carrying the load, and he got better as the game went along. I'm not disputing the, the idea that he's better, you know, when he's schemed up to get the ball in space like they've done. But I don't think he was terrible between the tackles. It wasn't terrible between the tackles. When you look at as a running back, you look and you say, what did this play give you? And what did you get? If this play was blocked for you to get four yards, then you should have picked up six. If this play was blocked for you to lose two yards, then you should have saved and got back to the line of scrimmage. You see? Yeah. So are you getting the most out of every play? That's where the issue comes in. It's not, oh, well, he did this and he did that. Oh, man, he got a seven-yard run and he got a 10-yard run when he really could have got 20 yards or 15 yards, is a huge difference. Because if you get tackled at the 42 and you would have picked up five more yards, you're at the 37 and give your kicker a chance to make a field goal. Understood. What about Robinson Jr.? I, I, I think he runs a little bit too upright. What do you think? Yeah. yeah, he definitely runs. I mean, coming from college, it was guys getting out of his way. In the NFL, guys aren't getting out of your way. And if if you wanna if you wanna look at a running back that's running peers from Houston, this oh. kid oh if they God. don't if they don't use him up, man, this kid's gonna be amazing. Amazing because he's running through he's running through people. If you could go if I was if I was Coach George, I would go take Robinson and I would show him peers because you're both rookies. He went to Florida, you went to Alabama. You guys came out of the SEC. This is how his transition to the NFL is compared to yours. For me, I feel like Robson is trying to make the big play all the time. Every carry is he's trying to pop it and take it the distance. And he's he's getting trying to get to the sideline. Sometimes you gotta you gotta plant that foot in the ground and get downhill and pick up what's there. That's the difference. With Pierce, man. Hey, let it not be a hole. He's going to find something. He's creating something. He's dropping his head. He's dropping his shoulder pads, and he's running behind his shoulder pads. He, re- he, rem- he, remind- he reminds you of you, does- doesn't he? Bro, the man, he looks good. He <laughs> look- I-, I don't know if his. I don't know if he has the speed. Yeah, he doesn't have the speed. Than, you know, he, yeah, in that in the one cut. But, but I watched him last night for the first time. That's the first time I've watched him this year. And I, I talked about it in the open of the podcast. I was blown away with how good he is. Man, that man ran over three people on one plate. I know. Yeah, on that run uh, as they were going down, uh, yeah, it, 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 to the outside, he, he carried a couple of people with him. By the way, I love talking running backs with you. How good is Kenneth Walker in Seattle? Another one, I think it's the same, though. When you look at Kenneth Walker, downhill. This man is running downhill. He's running abusive. And you know what? It's not even one of those Marshawn Lynch abusive. It's, he's coming downhill, and those legs are still churning. Most guys stop their legs at contact. Pierce and, and Walker, 
they're still turning. If you look at Nick Chubb, still turning. Yep. You know, when you look at these backs, a lot of backs on contact stop their legs and it's kind of like, okay, I'm surrendering. Not them. It ain't no surrender. You come in there thinking they finna surrender, you want to. Let me give you the guy that I loved before the draft, and he's playing really well in Atlanta, the BYU kid, Tyler Algier. Have you watched him? Yeah, I've seen, I seen some of them. I actually like uh, uh, the wide receiver that they got in the backfield. He's running. Oh, well, Cordero he's, Patterson. He's really hard. Yeah, he's yeah, been. Yeah, Patterson. Yeah. He's been hurt a little bit here recently. They're actually a they're actually a pretty good offensive team, um, Atlanta. Uh, you were here. I mean, was Arthur Arthur Smith was here when you were here, right? Briefly, yep. yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. I think I think Arthur is doing a good job. He's doing a great job. All right. So before I ask you about other teams in the NFL, because although that's kind of what we've been doing here in talking about players, but real quickly. What do you think – where do you think this is headed with Washington on a three-game winning streak? They're 4-4. Four and four. They looked dead in the water three weeks ago. They almost lost to Chicago. If the guy doesn't muff the punt, they probably lose that game. Where is this headed? Well, I, I would be excited if you didn't have the Eagles and the Giants and the Cowboys – Playing lights out. <laughs> we're, we're excited about, about the Skins winning three in a row, but the Eagles just won eight in a row, yeah. you know? So it, it's always just one of those situations where you feel like you're doing good and you're gaining ground, but who are you gaining ground on? It's, it's hard to get four teams out of the East yeah, but you, into the playoffs. It, you know? it, it, would, it, it would be a first time ever, but right now – at four and four, and if they were to win this weekend, and I give them a chance against Minnesota, I do. Um, even though the Vikings are six and one, uh, they could be sitting in the seventh spot all by themselves on Sunday afternoon. I mean, that's how crazy it is. They're not, you know, they're not going to win the division, obviously, um, but they 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 could be in the hunt. Do you do you? Let me just say, ask you this: uh, you you know what the schedule is like? Do you see a team that is better than five hundred right now? You're talking about for the commanders? Yeah. Who else am I, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, talking I think, about? I, I th- no, I'm saying I thought you was asking about the opponent. No. I was about to say, uh, yeah. But, okay, so I think when you get Dotson back, uh-huh. that changes everything because now that gives you all of your weapons. That gives you your weapons. That gives you your guy in Heineke, knock on wood, that nothing happens. And that gives you your your two running backs. You know, it's kind of faded McKissick out uh, at this stage because you got you got Robinson and you have uh, Gibson playing so well. Yeah. So now, and then if you can get your tight end back uh, to uh, Thomas back playing at the level he was before injury, this is the time of year that you have to step up these cold months. The November, the end of November, the December, this is where we're going to see teams separate themselves. I you know, know, after that bye week is, is where football changes. The, the weather gets messy, and now it's time to come downhill. I think we're poised and we're in position defensively to be able to go out and compete because offensively we know we can be in an ugly game and finish it. So defensively, I think if our D-line continues to play the way that they've been playing, you get Chase Young back, 
that adds, and he comes back and, and, and adds to what's already going on, I think you have a chance. All right, real quickly, and we'll wrap it up after this. Um, do you think anybody in the league, I know Philadelphia is 8-0, but do you think anybody in the league is as good as Kansas City or Buffalo? I think Philly is, I think Philly is in that conversation. Okay. Uh, I honestly do. It's, it's hard to find a flaw. Well, no, I won't say it's hard to find a flaw because if that left tackle plays the way that he played last night, yeah, they get then beat. you're going to need a quarterback. Oh, man, you you got to put a tight end over there outside of him or had a back chip or something. But uh, if he continues to play the way he played last night, then you're going to need a new quarterback up in Philly. He, he uh, was under, he was under pressure stuff. last night. Yeah, Malata had a tough yeah. game last night. Yeah, I, I would I would be looking at, at moving Malata uh at this point because he had a he had a horrible game uh last night and you know it's kinda never talked about because you win and the, the eight and no and the eight games, you know, all of that overshadows, but someone needs to really sit down and say, Hey bro, what what was going on? You know, like is everything okay with you? Check on him because he, he really got he really got abused last night. So uh, if you could keep those guys healthy, if you could keep Hurts healthy, and, of course, Brown and Smith playing at the level that they're playing on, uh, the running backs even look better for Philly. And normally, you know, that's been an issue. So they have a shot. What about and, Dallas? And I think Dallas with that defense, they got a shot because – yeah, I, I think Dallas has a shot, but that's kind of contingent upon Dak in the receiving core. I don't know if they have the receivers to go out and if you take C.D. Lamb out of the game, who's gonna who's gonna hurt you? You know, I think Pollard is is really an X factor, but if you take C.D. Lamb out and you can stop Pollard, then where do they go? What about the Forty ers if they're healthy and they're starting to get healthier? I think. Once Debo comes back and, and you got Christian McCaffrey who's uh, turned into Mr. Everything, he's in the perfect system uh, for his talent uh, being out with Kyle. So I think once Debo comes back and, and Ayuk, uh continues playing, you're going to get Kittle back in the fold. He's been uh, he's been banged up. What about what about the uh, the tackle um, Trent? Yeah. Trent is playing out of his mind, man. Like Trent bulldogging people twenty yards downfield, and now you got a guy in McCaffrey who can who can play off of that. So, I think the Forty ers are going to get it together. It, it's really uh, their their secondary is questionable, uh, but their front seven once they get healthy, it's a mean front seven. I, I think secondary they could be exposed. All right. Uh, anybody else that you like? I mean, I had this uh, debate with uh, on the air the other day. After Buffalo and Kansas City, who do you think the third best team in the AFC is? Because I think you can make the case it's Miami. I was about to say a healthy Dolphins team. Yeah. Uh, especially with the addition of, of Chubb. I think that addition does something uh, for them down in Miami. So um, even with the Ravens, you know, that that addition that they just had uh, in, in bringing Roquan. in the linebacker from Roquan Smith, uh, Roquan, yeah, in in bringing in Roquan, that's a huge addition because they got they got the uh, 
the guy from Chicago as well. Right. I mean, the, Robert, uh, Robert, they got the other guy as no, well. Quinn, Quinn, Quinn went to Philly. Quinn went to Philly. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Quinn went to Philly. Yeah. Anyways, well, I th- I think Baltimore. Uh, I think they're hit by the injury bug though. The receivers yeah. are, are going down, but having Lamar Jackson in a, in a defense gives them a chance. Well, I love talking to you, and I found out something new about you. I had no idea that Maryland was uh, at one point the front runner for Clinton Portis back in 1999. Um, that would have been so much fun to see you in a Terps uniform, especially when Ralph got there in, in 2001. Uh, you'd have been behind Lamont to start. I mean, he. I mean, Man, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> hey, you know what? I start when, when I when I when when I signed with the University of Miami. They had this this kid with gold teeth named Edrin James. Yeah, I, I didn't hear that, so I damn sure ain't there. <laughs> Lamont Jordan, even though I like Lamont, Lamont was there. Um, L- Lamont and Chris Jenkins was there, so yeah. those are some good dudes, man. You know, but I I never shied away from competition. You know, when when I got to University of Miami, it was. Well, Edrin James is, is here. Edrin left, and I end up running to Willis and Frank and Nijay and Jared Payton and James Jackson. I got to Denver, and they had this guy named Terrell Davis who was pretty good. And I come to D.C., you got Liddell Betts, you got Sean Alexander, Willie Parker, Larry Johnson, and this goes on. So I've always been up Well, the, the competition, you, 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 you didn't have any competition here. They traded for you because they wanted a big time back. You got here. You were the, you were the number one, number one. There was no question about that. Liddell Betts, hey, come on. You know what? <laughs> Liddell was one of my favorite. I bet. Teammates. I bet. But he wasn't. He wasn't Clinton Portis. Um. Clinton Portis go down. Liddell had a. Well, where were? Yards. Remember the game against the Giants. Um, when we were wearing the helmets with the R on it, and at the end of the game they gave it to Liddell like two or three times in a row, and we lost right at the end. Um, I, I always wondered. I, I don't know if I've ever asked you where were you at the end of that game. Do you know the game I'm talking about? I think it was two thousand. I think it was two thousand and six. It may have been the no two thousand and seven. 2007, because it was the year that the Giants ended up going to the Super Bowl that year. And at the end of the game, in a tight game, Liddell was in there and you weren't. And they were running uh, like Liddell a bunch of times and, and, he, and he couldn't punch it in. You don't, rem- you don't remember the game I'm talking about. I'm, I, I, I'm assuming I was standing on the sideline. You were. Those, those were. I remember. Sa- those, I remember being on the good. air saying, "Where the hell was Portis at the end?" The one thing I remember about the game is it was the game in which you guys wore the helmets, the the R helmets with the R, um, with the gold pants uh, against the Giants. That's what I remember about yeah, that. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't remember off top, but it was probably some BS. <laughs> well, that was a Joe team. Um, all right, I hope you're well. It's always good to catch up. Hey, likewise, man. Number 26, everybody, Clinton Portis. Good to catch up with him. Uh, up next, we'll go to Minneapolis and talk some Vikings uh, with Phil Mackey, who hosts 
the Purple Daily podcast up there. Does a great job with that. And I'll finish up the show with the smell test. We'll get to both of those things right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk uh, opponent on Sunday, 1 o'clock FedEx Field. The Vikings and Kirk Cousins coming back to town for the first time. They played each other in a Thursday night game a few years back in Minneapolis, but this one at FedEx Field. And Phil Mackey does such a great job uh, covering the team for Score North. He does a Purple Daily show on YouTube um, with uh, with Judd and with Declan. It's, it's an outstanding standing show covering Minnesota Vikings football and you guys have just help me out with this because I've watched it a few times you've got this saying about what you want before what what your number one goal is as as Viking fans yeah we uh so so we we started doing this show a few years ago and the audience would and we were hard on the Vikings you know we would we would criticize the Vikings and we would be unhappy with the Vikings and the you know, a large chunk of the audience is like, why are you guys so negative about the Vikings? And it made us take a step back and say, well, I guess I guess maybe we should explain. We set a bar for this franchise. We have standards for this franchise. They've been around for over sixty years, and they haven't won a Super Bowl. They've done everything there is to do in the NFL except win a Super Bowl. I think it's the team with the most playoff appearances, most playoff wins, best record that hasn't won a Super Bowl. And we said. The reason we are hard on the Vikings sometimes is because we just want them to win a dang Super Bowl before we die. <laughs> so uh, six and one is a good way to, to start your way down that path, I guess. You know, as a lifelong born and raised Washingtonian and Washington, you know, Redskins fan and now, you know, the commanders, which not all of us are pleased about. Um, we have won Super Bowls, uh, three of them, and been to five. But really, in recent years, our mantra has been, we just want Dan Snyder to sell the team before we die. Or really, before everybody's <laughs> lost interest in the team. And we got that news this week. So you never know. Um, hang in there, uh, because what seemed c- completely impossible looks like it is now impossible in Washington, which, Phil, really... That that's the news here this week. The game has really taken a backseat, even with three wins in a row. Um, the idea that finally this 23-year nightmare um, could be uh, ending uh, and we might get our team back, is, is, uh, it's, it's a euphoric feeling 
um, in town. Uh, all right, let's talk about your team uh, as we talk to Phil Mackey. Six and one. How would you describe it? Legit good or something else? I would say uh, very good, very solidly a tier two team in the NFL. I think, and I think most people would agree with me that the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Philadelphia Eagles are sort of separated. Um, eye test, analytics, everything as tier one teams. And then the Vikings are sitting here. You know, they, I don't think they need to apologize for the way they've won games. In fact, some, some, there's, there's, there's so many people that, well, who have they beat, right? And you could play this game with a lot of people. Well, look at their resume. Who have they really beat? Well, how many teams in the NFL in 2022 would you put on a list of, now that is an impressive team to beat, right? Probably the first three teams I mentioned. Um, and so they're winning close games. They're, uh, they have three fourth-quarter comeback victories this season. And some people are going to say, well, you're just you're winning you know, with these close shaves every week. And I say it would be nice to get some separation at some point. But I think it's a great team character trait to just find a way to win in the fourth quarter. It's not, it hasn't always been the case in Kirk Cousins' career, and it hasn't been the case with, with the Vikings throughout the year. So I, this would be the week it would be nice to see them just win a game by like 14 points. Um, but, but I also think that there's, a, there's, there's very much an awareness that this could be a trickier game than it looks like on paper, and, uh, and Washington has found a way to win some games. I don't think people are taking this game for granted, but it would be nice to see some separation at some point. Yeah, I don't think they should. I mean, I would have said that three weeks ago, but uh, Washington has improved. They're better defensively. They're actually a a decent team defensively, um, and they've had some life sort of injected uh, via Taylor Heineke. Um, What do you see, though, moving forward? Because there's a lot of talent. Uh, there's a, a better relationship between coach and quarterback, which I'll ask you to speak to here uh, in a moment. Um, and, by the way, there's a pretty sizable division lead at this point. You know, it's it, it, it's much better to win games on the way to being good than to lose games on the way to being good and then have those games be less meaningful. Do you see a much better team at some point down the road? I think the Vikings have more room to grow and get better than most teams that they're fighting with for a playoff position right now. You know, they, they're installing an entirely new offensive system with a new head coach. You mentioned Kevin O'Connell. They're installing a 3-4 defense for the first time since 1986. Daniel Hunter is playing as a left outside linebacker instead of uh, a defensive end. So there's all these changes and new personnel and things that they're trying to get a full grasp on. And I think we were, we were trying to figure out, is that a process that's going to take four weeks, six weeks? Uh, you know, we're about two months into the season now. And, and I, 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 so I think starting now, basically, you've had all off season, you had the first two months of regular season action. I think there's room to grow, but I think it has to start soon. I don't think you're just going to become a different team in December. Uh, w- would like to see some signs, but I mean, there's a lot of good DNA here. It's one of the least penalized teams in the NFL. Um, I'm going to throw a, a, a hardcore stat at you here. They have something called a successful play rate in the NFL, yep. which is basically, you know, what percentage of the time are you gaining uh, enough yards on each play for it to be successful? 60% of yards on first down, 40% on whatever, uh, and then conversion on third down. And the Vikings have the third highest offensive success rate in the league behind Buffalo and Kansas City. So there's just a lot of good bones and DNA here. Um, and, and then they just traded for TJ Hawkinson, who should help 
uh, make the passing game more explosive, and uh, and we'll just have to see it continue, I guess, over the coming weeks. I want to talk about Hawkinson here in a moment and the addition of him, but tell me and all that are listening just what KOC, what Kevin O'Connell's brought, uh, not just in, in overall you know, head coach and dynamic change, but specific to that relationship with his starting quarterback. So, uh, and, and you and I have talked offline about Kirk and, and the sort of, how was how he in Washington? How is he in Minnesota? And I, my, so my read after watching him on a day-to-day basis for now, what, a half decade, is he's never going to be the guy that sets the temperature in a room, like a Tom Brady or a Patrick Mahomes, from a leadership standpoint, a presence standpoint. Right. He's not going to be that guy. And so it's really important for the coach to empower him, for the coach to build a good relationship with him. And uh, Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins just were never two guys that were going to sit down. And I mean, it literally took until their fourth year together to start watching film for 45 minutes on Thursdays. They didn't even work together for the first three years of the partnership. And so to have Kevin O'Connell come in and make it okay to be Kirk, it's okay to be kind of quirky, it's okay to be yourself, it's okay to admit that you were bad in a game without you know the coach jumping down your throat in a practice or... Uh, or at a press conference, he seems like the most comfortable version of himself that I've seen in the five years he's been here. But the funny part is, he's having the worst statistical year of his right. career. Right. And some of it, again, is, is learning learning a new system, and I know Adam Thielen isn't the, the deep threat that he used to be at age 32. Um, I, should, I should say, he's having the worst statistical season of his career, but he's better at the end of halves than he's ever been in his career. And if I had to, t- I mean, I'd like it all. I mean, I, I just like the best version possible at all times. But if I had to pick, is he going to wake up and be great in the last five minutes of the first and second half, or is he going to be great on the scripted plays? Um, I think the fact that he's that he's improving when the game gets more improvisational shows you that there's been another level to Kirk Cousins here at age 34. It's been it's been a nice, pleasant surprise. Well, I'll do the thing that I usually do, um, which, by the way, the 17-yard touchdown run last week was uh, was pretty impressive, and I actually <laughs> thought he put it into a gear that I don't think anybody thought he had. But it would have been nice had Irv Smith caught that 70-yard touchdown pass on Monday night in Philadelphia that he dropped right in in, in, in the breadbasket. It would have been nice if Munt hadn't dropped uh, that touchdown pass in, in that goal-to-go situation. But I'll leave that alone for right now. More importantly, just yeah. KOC overall, because – Phil, you know, it's funny, all of the coaches that were here with Mike when Mike was here, when Mike Shanahan was here, you know, uh, Mike McDaniel, uh, Kyle, Sean, Matt, uh, KOC came later. You know, everybody, all of us that knew some of these guys, and and I knew Mike and still know Mike pretty well, Kyle was obviously, to anybody that knew anything about football, you knew he was going to be a head coach. You knew Sean was going to be a head coach. Matt, not as much. And I, I don't think anybody would have guessed KOC was going to be a head coach, especially that's th- that quickly, but they won a Super Bowl last year and he was the OC with Sean. What have you guys thought so far overall about him as a head coach? Love him. Love him. I hate, I hate making a declaration after like seven games, but I really think, especially when you look at what's happening in Denver right now, I mean, Nathaniel Hackett was brought in for an interview here in Minnesota. Um, I think they hit a home run demeanor-wise. I think they hit a home run uh, in the way that he builds relationships with players and coaches. I don't think he's a. I think he's a players' coach, but not a pushover. 
you know, he'll he'll get into guys. He'll pull Kirk aside four times a game and and harshly get into him for not being more aggressive or whatnot. So I, I, I just think it's so important to have someone who understands relationship building and I think who understands offense in today's NFL. And, and he seems to check all of those boxes so far. And I'll tell you, the one thing I've been so impressed by is, uh, is just red zone play design. So the Vikings have, have often struggled to, to convert red zone trips into touchdowns. And they don't have a quarterback that can just, like, keep a play alive for 15 seconds with his legs or something. I mean, you know, Kirk's not Josh Allen. He's not Lamar Jackson. So they, they're, they're limited compared to some other teams in how they can score in right. 20. And uh, just the motions and the different ways. I mean, Kevin O'Connell used the phrase at his introductory press conference back in January. He said, we want to create the illusion of complexity. He said, what we're really doing is running a few simple sets with motions, but we can change the chess pieces around. And you've seen, like, you know, six or seven different touchdowns inside the red zone where it's the same play or the same motion but different pieces. Jalen Rager grabs grabs a handoff on a jet sweep, or Justin Jefferson does, or they fake to to uh, to the to the motion receiver, fake to Dalvin. Johnny Munt catches a touchdown. So just creativity, demeanor, everything seems like a home run here, at least in the first half of the season. All right, we're talking to Phil Mackey. Phil uh, has been covering the Vikings for years. You can follow him on Twitter, at Phil Mackey. I would urge uh, anybody that wants to be entertained to watch uh, what they do uh, with Purple Daily on YouTube. Um, So they trade for TJ Hawkinson. I I, I think that was probably surprising. I'm I'm assuming it was surprising to you. what was your and everyone else's reaction there to them adding, you know, the guy that was the number eight pick in the draft a few years ago? Yeah, I think I think everyone had a feeling they were looking for another pass catching weapon, and Irv Smith had just you know, been diagnosed with a high ankle sprain, and you know we, we kind of mentioned Adam Thielen; he's not getting any younger, he's banged up. So we, I think, you know, people following the team thought they're going to do something and get a, and get a weapon. I don't know that any of us thought that T.J. Hawkinson was even an option. In the division, he's 25 years old. He's, he's still on a rookie-scale contract, and he's relatively affordable cap-wise next year on the fifth-year option. And um, he just seems like the type of guy, as a former eighth overall pick, that you would invest four or five more years into. But I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I never really know what the Lions are doing, so uh, we'll let them kind of deal with their own house. But what I love, and this has happened a couple times here with the Vikings' new general manager, Quasi Dopamenta, you know, he comes from... He comes from the, a trading background, uh, a, st- a stock trading background. And a couple different times here in the last three months, he has said, all right, who is a former first-round pick that might not be living up to his potential yet, still young enough? Jalen Rager, 23 years old. You know, He was the pick before Justin Jefferson. They wound up trading like a mid- or a late-round pick to the Eagles to get a punt returner and a guy that they can use in jet sweep motions and maybe mix in more. It's a great buy-low on a, on a former first-round pick. You're not giving up a first- or a second-round pick. And then T.J. Hawkinson, six foot five, athletic, comes from that Iowa pipeline of tight ends. Yeah. Um, and, and they say, I mean, at one point, this was one of the ten best football prospects in the world. He's been good with the Lions, but they think there's probably a tier one tight end in there somewhere. He's only 25 years old. It took Travis Kelsey until 27. It, it, it took Mark Andrews until, like, his fourth year in the league. So sometimes tight ends just need time. So I love the fact that they're buying low on football commodities and, and they're not giving up first-round draft capital 
to do it. And I think Hawkinson, I mean, Kirk Cousins loves throwing to tight ends. Great check down safety blankets. And instead of a seven-yard gain, you might get a 14-yard gain out of a guy like Hawkinson. You know, it's it's funny. The I, I wonder if you guys talked at all just about, and I think it's become a little bit more commonplace in recent years, but I remember when, when uh, Andy Reid traded Donovan McNabb to Washington in 2010, my initial reaction was, well, why would he do that if he were actually really good still? Um, you know, this guy's a lot, a lot younger than Donovan was at the time. But was that any – was that a reaction? Like, don't you think there's a little bit of a red flag on that or not? Or is it just that the Lions are the Lions? Yeah, I think I think when the Eagles traded Rager – and you saw some of the stuff. Just, I mean, Rager under national TV spotlight, sure. muffing punts and stuff. So it wasn't – so it, it was kind of – his struggles were more known, but – uh, but the Eagles are a fairly well-run, competent organization. You know, they, they, they don't make a lot of bad personnel moves. And so when the Eagles trade Rager, you're kind of like, ah, definitely damaged goods. Everyone, everyone kind of knows that you're, you're not exactly getting, uh, you know, a number one wide receiver prospect here. When the Lions make a trade, I just shrug my shoulders and say, well, okay. I mean, they literally traded Matthew Stafford to the Rams, and the Rams won a Super Bowl within five minutes later. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, right. it's like... Uh, I, the Lions have built up zero trust with, with me anyway. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the game Sunday. Uh, what do you expect for, for Washington fans that haven't watched Minnesota at all, even though there have been some opportunities with a Monday night game and the London game, um, the Packer game in week one? What are the strengths, what are the weaknesses that Washington can attack? I would say the thing Washington should look out for, first and foremost, Darius Smith is back to his 2019 form as a pass rusher. I think the, the league moves so fast with new pass rushers coming in, and you know, you know, JJ Watt five six years ago is is by by far the best pass rusher, and then two years later it's Nick Bosa, or it's, I mean, it's, you know, every two or three years there's sort of a sea change with the best pass rushers. And Zadarius Smith led the NFL in pressures in 2019. Daniel Hunter, by the way, I believe was second that season. Not that long ago. Uh, a back injury kept him out for, I believe, all of the season with the Packers last year. The Vikings fought low in free agency. And now Zadarius Smith leads the NFL in sacks. He's like third in pressures. He is, he's only 30 years old. He probably has a couple more years left if he stays healthy. And so um, he's back to being the quarterback. Uh, terrorizer that he was a few years ago. So if I'm Taylor Heineke, I'm, I'm probably looking out for the Darius Smith. In terms of what Washington can attack, um, teams have been able to run the ball on the Vikings a lot this year, and I believe Dalvin Tomlinson, the big presence defensive tackle in the middle, is going to be out or at least uh, hampered with an injury this week. So if I'm Washington, you know I'm. Uh, I love me some Taylor Heineke. He was a backup quarterback in Minnesota. Right. And so we remember when he put his foot through a glass door and missed training camp like five years ago. He's grown up a lot since then. But um, I think keeping it fairly conservative, running the ball, and then and then leveraging Taylor Heineke off the run game is probably the way that you I – don't, I don't know that this game is going to get much beyond like 23-21 or 20. I mean, I think the over-under is like 42 for this game. So if, if, if Washington can score a couple touchdowns and kick a couple field goals um, and then cross your fingers on 
on holding the Vikings to like 23 points, this could definitely be a close game for sure. Well, and your kicker has had problems. I still can't believe he's he's still there um, after all of the missed kicks over the last few years. So when you end up making your prediction, and I don't know when that is, if it's today or tomorrow, what will it be? Yeah, so I'm still I'm still ruminating on it a little because we're gonna we're gonna record our our picks episode uh, for Saturday later on today. Um, so we make straight up, and then we and then we pick the the line too. I, I think I think it's a three point yeah, Vikings three. cushion right now. So I feel like I would I would probably fade the Vikings at that number, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge here on this segment. I do think the Vikings win. But I, but I am on the record earlier this week saying uh, I think it's, I think it's going to be Kirk Cousins' fourth fourth quarter comeback win of the season, and we may get a third. You like that moment in some form <laughs> after the game. Yeah, well, that would be that's sort of my that's sort of my prediction. That would be a homecoming <laughs> dream for him uh, for sure. Although I don't really think he and the family consider Washington much of a home anymore. Um, but uh, I really appreciate this, Phil. Great job. Keep up the good work on all that you do. Phil is uh, followable on Twitter at Phil Mackey. Um, has uh, a Score North uh, page as well and does a really good podcast called Purple Daily, which also airs on YouTube. Thanks. Good to catch up. All right. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk again. All right. Let's finish up the show with the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for for the the smell smell test. The smell test brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. They'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to $1,000. Again, you may have a site that you prefer right now. You might be comfortable with that site. Take MyBookie's free money. They're going to double your account size upon deposit up to 1000 bucks. Use MyBookie as a way to compare point spreads and pricing. You know, as an example, if you want to play Washington this week, all right, and you want to get a good number, let's just say your site has Washington at plus three. What if my bookie has them at plus three and a half? Well, then you'd play it at my bookie and you'd have all of that money in the account that you didn't have in the account to begin with. You should have more than one place if you're doing this the right way. You should never uh, be overpaying on price, on a loss or getting a bad number. These things do matter over the course of time. MyBookie.ag, KevinDC is the promo code. Eight and five last week. I think that is five out of the last six weeks at 500 or better. Of course, I had the three and 10 week in there at one point. Uh, I don't like much in the NFL. Um, For those of you that always say, oh, you're much better in the NFL than you are uh, college, I don't even think that's true. Um, But I like a lot of college games. Uh, Only two NFL games, one on Sunday, one on Monday night. I will tell you I'm not putting Washington into the smell test, even though I will likely personally play them. I already gave you my final score prediction of 23-20. to I do like their chances Sunday. Uh, And they are an anti-public side. But I was told that there is – some super sharp money on Minnesota and some sharp money on Washington too, but I'm going to stay off them. Uh, That might please some of you. Lots of college games though really fit the smell test criteria, which is, you know, basically going opposite, you know, prevailing opinion and then using some of my offshore 
uh, sources, which I do have uh, many of, and making sure that it's aligned with some of the sharp money as well and that I'm not going against that. Um, There's a little bit more uh, that goes into it, but uh, the bottom line is it is a contrarian handicapping philosophy. And I've said this recently, I think, on the podcast, but I'm starting to feel like the contrarian handicapping philosophy is no longer contrarian because almost everybody now that bets has figured out that if it looks obvious, it usually isn't. Uh, Most don't have the stones to bet it the other way, but... Um, they do uh, have the smarts to stay off some of those games. Anyway, uh, lots of college games. I'm going I'm to start with Virginia plus seven and a half. They can't score, I know, and they're playing North Carolina, who can score. The line seven and a half. The public loves the heels. I don't know how Virginia does it. This is one of those real painful, you know, once it starts, I'm going to be thinking, I've got no chance, and it may turn out that way. But trust me, the smart money is on Virginia plus the seven and a half. That line opened a little higher. It's come down because there's some sharp money on a team that can play pretty good defense. Virginia plus seven and a half. Kentucky got walloped by Tennessee last week, and that usually would mean I'd look at them as a bounce-back team. But they're only laying a point and a half against Missouri or Missouri. I think it's Missouri if you live like in Springfield, Missouri, or Columbia, Missouri. But I think if you live in St. Louis or Kansas City, the big metropolises of the state of Missouri or Missouri, I think you pronounce it Missouri, which is the way we pronounce it. But I think if you're, you know, uh, down in Joplin, it's Missouri. I think a friend of mine from St. Louis once told me, if you're from Jefferson City, Missouri, it's Missouri. If you're from St. Louis, it's Missouri. If you're from Belleville, Illinois, which is really a St. Louis suburb, it's Missouri. Uh, Missouri plus one and a half against Kentucky. Pitt last week was on the smell test. They did not get it done against Carolina. They're laying three against Syracuse. Syracuse has lost two in a row, but still, I don't think Pitt should be favored by three. The public likes Syracuse. I'll take Pitt. The odds makers like Pitt for some reason. Uh, they were in that game for a while until the fourth quarter. I mean, May is something else for Carolina. I'll take Pitt laying the three. In the big game of the day, if not the season, Georgia uh, and Tennessee, number one against number two. I mean, you probably knew I was going to have Georgia in the smell test when you saw this point spread. Georgia's an eight-and-a-half-point favorite, and Tennessee is the number one public bet team of the weekend right now. I'll take the dogs between the hedges, laying the eight-and-a-half. Kansas State last week with their backup quarterback, not Adrian Martinez, beat the number nine team in the country, Oklahoma State, 48 to nothing. Now they're home as the 13th-ranked team in the land, playing 24th-ranked Texas, and they're a a two-and-a-half-point dog. Somebody really needs to explain that one to me. That was the first one along with Georgia that completely stuck out. I'm like, wait a minute, Kansas State last week had one of the biggest one-sided blowout wins over a top-10 team in NCAA college football history, and they're coming home 
And by the way, Adrian Martinez might be back, and they're two and a half point dog to Texas. I'll take the horns, hook them, laying the two and a half. I like Vanderbilt plus seven against South Carolina. I've been on the wrong side of Vanderbilt a couple of times. I understand that. South Carolina is not very good. They got ranked there briefly. Uh, I'll take Vandy plus seven. I like Notre Dame getting the three and a half uh, in South Bend against Clemson. I'm just not a big Clemson fan this year. Uh, They should have lost in their last outing to Syracuse. Notre Dame's playing better. I had them against Syracuse. They looked really good. Uh, Notre Dame is getting a short number. Public likes the number four team in the country against a team that isn't ranked. I'll take the Irish plus three and a half. Uh, Oklahoma's laying three against Baylor. Oklahoma shouldn't be favored against anybody. That's really weird to say. I understand that. But they stink. They can't stop anybody. Baylor's a pretty good football team, and they've won two in a row. They beat uh, Texas Tech last week. They beat Kansas uh, the week before. And remember when Kansas was rolling there for a while? I know I had Oklahoma against Kansas a couple of weeks ago, and they won 52-42. to They got it done, and they, they are coming off a win over Iowa State. Still, um, most people think Oklahoma shouldn't be favored in this game. I'll take the Sooners and lay the three. Uh, in the Big Ten, Penn State was impressive last week against Ohio State. They were. They're laying 13 and a half at Indiana. By the half point, take the Hoosiers at home, plus the 14. And then back to the ACC, where Georgia Tech is a short dog at Virginia Tech. Uh, Georgia Tech's lost two in a row. They got blown out by Florida State. God, I almost gave Florida State out last week. They were laying a big number, and it seemed wrong. They would have covered. They did cover. Uh, Georgia Tech's getting three at a Virginia Tech team that just continues to struggle, but very easily could have won their last two games against Miami and last week in Raleigh against NC State, where they lost 22-21, but they had a 21-10 lead the Hokies did going into the fourth quarter. Uh, I'll take Georgia Tech plus the three. Um, let's go to Sunday. There's only one game Sunday for me, and that is Chicago plus four and a half at home against the Dolphins. I had uh, Detroit last week plus three and a half. They didn't get it done against Miami. God, they had a 21 to seven lead at one point. Uh, and uh, Miami came back, and Tua had a big day, and Waddle and Hill had big days. The, you know, the Bears are, the Bears have a good offensive line. And they have a good running back situation. And even though Roquan Smith is gone, um, they've got some players on defense. I, you know, the Quinn and, and, and Smith are gone. They're only getting four and a half against Miami, a team that people think, you know, and I think you can make the case that Miami is the third best team in the AFC. I mean, there are others, Baltimore and Cincinnati and the Chargers healthy. Uh, but I'm going to take Chicago plus four and a half. That's one of the big public plays, the Dolphins, this week. And then Monday night, the Saints are getting two and a half at home against the Ravens by the half point. Take New Orleans plus the three. So, recapping. Virginia plus seven and a half. Missouri plus one and a half. Pitt minus three. Georgia minus eight and a half. Texas minus two and a half. Vandy plus seven. Notre Dame plus three and a half. Georgia Tech plus three, Oklahoma minus three, Indiana plus 14 on Saturday. 
Sunday, the Bears plus four and a half. And Monday night, the Saints by the half point plus three at home against Baltimore. There is the smell test, and there is your Friday show. Uh, back on Monday, although although I may have a special guest for a special podcast over the weekend. Uh, more on that, uh, I will let you know via Twitter, at Kevin Sheehan, DC. Uh, if not, talk on Monday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.